Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 14. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. Today, I have chapter 13 of Outcast, and some news on progress on the next book in this series, but I'll save that for after the story. As always, I'm cross-posting this episode to the original Outcast feed, and if you're listening to this there, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the new show at podchaser.com or at the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. But for now, let's get to Chapter 13 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 13 The scream was what I heard first, followed by a deep, guttural snarl. I froze. Someone was in the dwelling. Someone else. With her. Ready to... No. The rage began to build within me as I dropped the trio of logs I was carrying and made for the door. My heart began to pound mercilessly in my chest, and I could feel my implants begin to tingle slightly. My blood became a light with adrenaline, twisting not only my body, but also my mind into something just a degree or two below what some would call civilized. I swore I could feel my fangs begin to itch with anticipation as Teki's scream echoed in my mind, a mind that was fast becoming fevered with something very few people ever truly feel. Bloodlust. I burst through the door and roared out my challenge. The intruder stopped momentarily, his hand raised towards Teki as if to deliver a slap to her. He dared. He dared strike the woman I love in my own home? Never. I closed the distance between he and I in a heartbeat and grabbed his shoulder. With one hand, I pulled with all my might, flinging him across the dwelling. He hit the opposite wall hard enough that I thought I'd killed him, yet he was still able to stand, albeit shakily. I gave him no time to mount a defense. I closed in once more and threw him towards the opposite wall. He roared pathetically as he sailed through the air, landing soundly on the floor before bouncing and hitting the intended wall. I remember cursing myself after that throw. I didn't want him to just hit the wall. I wanted that pakla to go through it. I moved in on him again, but this time instead of standing, he remained against the wall and gazed up at me. The scent of fear came off him in waves, assaulting my senses and making me want to end him even more. A low, guttural growl emanated from my throat as I moved in, fists clenched, butting claws out, and the thirst for his blood making my mouth water. I licked my lips slowly, running my tongue over my fangs and making sure this intruder got a good, long look at what would be sinking into his neck shortly. Funny thing about bloodlust. While it heightens instincts, it also partially blinds you. Everyone who's ever had a pet knows how the base instincts can instantly wash away years of conditioning. Don't believe me? Toss a cat into a tub of water and try to cuddle it right afterward. 
At that moment in time, my instincts were burning like a nuclear furnace inside. All I saw before me was someone who dared to intrude into my territory and bring harm to one under my care. Beyond that, I saw nothing else. Dallin? Is that you? That voice was vaguely familiar, though distorted thanks to my mind still hearing Taki's scream. So this Pakla recognized me. Big deal. That probably made them a clansman. Maybe he was a Shatlia come to prove his worth by killing an exile. The only blood spilled tonight would be his, though. I planned to decorate the trees around the dwelling with his entrails as a message to any other who dared such a feat. Still, there was something about that voice. What was it? Why did it sound so familiar? It's me, Dallin. Don't you recognize me? My body remained tense, but the fog of the bloodlust was beginning to lift, and my vision was clearing. The creature sitting on the floor with his back to the wall was a tiger. A hauntingly familiar tiger. He looked older than me, and his voice sounded aged. Recognition was right there, just a hair beyond what my rage-filled mind was able to understand. I wanted to calm down just enough so I could sort this out, but that primal urge to defend, to kill, was just too strong. Let the rage pass. His voice was almost hypnotic now. The scent of fear that had been coming off him before was now gone, allowing my mind to clear a bit more. He slowly began to rise from his seated position, though he kept himself against the wall as much as he could. Let the rage bleed out of you, he said. Let reason take command, Dallin. He took a step towards me and I tensed, growling again. Please, Dallin, he said softly. Come back. He moved no further, but he didn't retreat either. Damn, his face was so familiar to me. Why couldn't I remember? Come back, little one. It was like someone had pulled me out of the water by the scruff of my neck. Little one. Only one person in existence had ever called me that, even after I stopped being so little. It felt like someone had unplugged me from the rage I was feeling. My body relaxed and almost instantly I began to shake as the adrenaline high faded away. With clear sight and hearing, I gazed at the tiger before me, savage bloodlust replaced by utter disbelief. He merely nodded in answer to my unasked question. I launched myself at him and nearly tackled him to the ground, embracing him as tightly as I dared. Whatever Teki thought of me at that moment, I didn't care. I buried my face in his chest, tears of pain and joy soaking into his shirt. My mind couldn't figure out what it wanted to do more. Cry, laugh, roar... I think it settled on a combination of all three, which probably sounded rather odd. I didn't care, though. The utter joy at seeing him again, mixed with the nagging guilt that I'd nearly killed him all but overrode any sense of modesty I had left. Shh, he soothed, hugging me tightly. It's all right now, Dallin. It's all right. He held me until I calmed down, at which point he let me go. 
I took a step back and looked towards Taki, who looked now both confused and still afraid. The intruder looked first to me, then to her, then bowed lowly. I am truly sorry, milady, he said. I humbly beg your forgiveness. I feared you were an intruder here, though it would seem I am the intruder. Who are you? she asked, her voice trembling. My name is Won Chang Calamar, he replied, looking at my now beaming face. Elder of the Tiger's Paw Clan and Dallin's grandfather. Where does one draw the line? What makes them cross it once it's drawn? We'd like to think the law is absolute, that despite circumstance or context, the written word of law has no room for dispute. In a perfect world, such a thing would not only exist, it would also put over half the legal system out of business. In a perfect world, there would be no arguing, haggling, or bargaining when it came to crime and punishment. The same could be said of religion. After all, isn't that where law comes from? Does the moral compass that guides our governments to pass laws not come from our belief in how some higher power wants us to live? What if religious law was absolute? What then? Given what some of the ancient texts have to say about sin, I'm sure we would have crusaded ourselves out of existence centuries ago. But nothing is absolute, is it? No. Everything exists in a gray haze of circumstance, context, and timing. To assert guilt, there must be absolute proof of it. Beyond that, there must also be a lack of mitigating circumstances which could absolve someone of a crime. Even love is one of those circumstances, especially when family is involved. After the proper introductions, I did my best to make Grandfather comfortable. It was no small task, given how badly I'd tossed him around. Still, he was able to sit on the stool while Taki and I pulled our mats up around him. It reminded me a lot of when my siblings and I would gather around him in the evening to listen to him tell a story or teach us something about our clan. All I needed was a hot cup of chakrala in my hand and a bigger cushion to sit on, and the illusion would have been perfect. Everyone thinks I have gone to the temple to seek guidance from the patrons, he said. He then sighed. Alas, alas, I fear my faith has wavered as of late. Empty words on pages, aeons old. That's all it seems to be now. My first reaction was to come up with a sarcastic remark about how he at least still had a warm bed to crawl into at night, but his tone told me he was genuinely lost. Any faith I had is gone, I said flatly. I've seen things these past few days that have showed me more about the clans than I ever wanted to know. For every light that shines, grandson, he said. I smirked. Hearing the beginning of that phrase reminded me of the story from which it came. Some ancient tale of two gods fighting over who would control the realm of death itself. My fur always bristled when I thought about that story. It was true enough, though. Every light casts a shadow, and the brighter the light, the darker its opposite. The clans are by no means infallible, he continued. We're all people, and as such are subject to whim and temptation. No institution created by us could ever be perfect because we ourselves are not so. Then why have ideals, I asked. Why create this illusion of perfection if we know we can never achieve it? 
I didn't want to get into a philosophical debate with my grandfather, but his presence in this dwelling, great as it was, basically took everything I thought about as absolute in the clans and flushed it. By rights, if a Shatlia entered this dwelling and saw him, they were honor-bound to execute the three of us and would face no penalty. Grandfather was risking not only his own honor, but as elder he was jeopardizing the entire clan's standing, not to mention his own life. Because, Dallin, said Taki, people need goals. They need ideals to give them purpose. Without something to aspire to, our civilization never would have come this far. You speak with wisdom, milady, said Grandfather with a smile. Yes, we do set lofty goals for ourselves, and we envision what our perfect world would be like. Of course, we know we will never achieve it in our lifetime, but perhaps we can lay the foundation upon which future generations can build. Perhaps they will someday reach that ideal goal that we envisioned. He sighed. But for now, we have more immediate intrigues to deal with. What do you mean? I asked. Suspicion is growing concerning the fate of the Kalpak, he said. Neither the Black Rose nor the Winter Stalkers have found any leads from their usual underworld channels, and no one in the Foundation. He probably stopped because of my widened eyes. How do you know about the Foundation? I asked, suddenly suspicious again. He only sighed in reply, pausing to take a drink of the water I'd offered him. How else do you think you received your care package so quickly? He asked with a slight smile. You? He bowed his head. But why? It is a debt I owe, he said after a few moments. A duty I swore I would undertake for any of our clan doomed to exile. He looked first at Taki and then back to me. You are not the first to be sent here, Dallin. There have been others before you, most recently your great-uncle, my brother. But you never had a brother, I said, suddenly confused. Only because his name was erased from the clan archives, he said softly. Raoul was perhaps sixteen or seventeen years of age when father exiled him. My whiskers picked up on the bitterness in his tone. Narasad Calamar was known by many clans as Narasad the Merciless, for he presided over the tiger's paw with an iron will and an immovable sense of discipline. He placed clan honor above all things, even when preserving it meant doing harm to either his clan or other clans. Legends say when he died, the entire Kerala Valley breathed a collective sigh of relief. Grandfather continued, Ral was a hothead, always flying in the face of father's will and countering every accusation with a quick wit and undeniable logic. Alas, this only infuriated Father, and one day, Ral simply pushed him too far. He was publicly exiled and condemned to live out his days here. Just like me, I muttered. I glanced at Teki, who offered a small smile. I felt thankful to the fates that she was there with me, helping to shoulder this burden of dispossession. However, said Grandfather, Ral was not the type to merely accept his fate and be done with it. He set about trying to make a good home for himself here. He planted the Asheria and Sampar bushes that concealed the pool, placed the heating stones at its bottom. Heating stones? I asked. All I saw were some smooth gray stones. Grandfather chuckled. 
Buried under one of the Sampar bushes is a small controller, Dallin. Once activated, the stones will heat the pool to a desired temperature in minutes. Great for the winter, wouldn't you say? He smiled at my rather surprised expression. At any rate, he continued, Ral went out of his way to make his life comfortable as possible, preferring the life of an exile to one of a clansman. And how do you figure into all of this? I asked. It took him a long time to answer that question, and part of me regretted having asked it. Finally, after what felt like an eternity of silence, he answered, My brother's exile was the one thing for which I could never truly forgive my father, he said. It took me months to muster up the courage to finally sneak out one night, but I did. I was determined to see Raoul again, regardless of my own fate. My eyes would have fallen out of my skull were they not attached. My grandfather, the elder of the tiger's paw, had once openly defied the laws as a cub? The shock was quickly transforming into a blossoming sense of admiration. Did you? I finally asked. Did you see him? He nodded. He actually caught me trying to enter the dwelling. He nearly killed me until he saw who I was. I saw his hands begin to clench. At least once per week, I would make the pilgrimage out to see him and keep him up to date on the goings-on of our family. I was still too young to see the risk I was taking, but I didn't care. He was my brother and my best friend. I simply couldn't abandon him. Teki was as wide-eyed as me by this time. Such a thing would have ended with your own exile, she said. Or worse, I thought. Indeed, he said. But you gain a lot of perspective on things like faith and rules when you step outside their bounds. Any signs or portents I prayed for from Kaon seemed to fall on deaf ears, for I never once received any kind of indication that he heard my prayers. I tried time and again to approach Father about Raoul's fate, but he merely said I had no brother and to accept it. Even Mother was no help, instead playing the part of the obedient mate. He snorted at that statement. At least your grandmother speaks her mind. There were no truer words. Anmek Kalamar was the single most outspoken Benyawan female I'd ever known. She was never one to remain silent if she had an opinion, and she always had the logic to back up her arguments. I'll grant you she still carried herself with an elegance befitting one of her status, but beneath that thin veneer laid someone completely opposite. He continued, We continued the clandestine meetings for a year. Time and again, Raoul would tell me just how much it meant to him. I knew then that when I became elder, I would use whatever influence I had to have these damnable exiles abolished. How anyone could throw away a member of their own family is inconceivable. The anger I felt in those last words told me he was hiding something beyond this mere tale of my great-uncle. I thought it best not to press him too hard on it, though. What he was going through was hard enough. Then, one night, he shut his eyes tightly, holding back the tears as best he could. I reached for his clenched fist, wrapping my hands around it. It never failed to amaze me that despite my strength in comparison to his, the mere aura of my grandfather seemed to leave me as weak and wide-eyed as a mere kitten. Even in this moment of heart-wrenching weakness, he still radiated more strength of will than I think I could ever muster. 
he finally continued. One night, I went out to the dwelling, only to find a black circle drawn on the door. I felt my heart sink. It was his way of telling me that... that... he was no more. I opened the door slowly, he continued, his voice shaking. I saw him... hanging by that very hook. He pointed towards the ceiling. My stomach churned. I also found a note, he said, a mournful chuckle escaping his throat. It turns out I wasn't as careful with my excursions as I thought I'd been. Father had learned of my clandestine visits and made Ral an offer. Either find a way to end my visitation, or I would be executed in front of him to further his shame. Ral did the one thing he could think of and gave me no further reason to sneak out at night. The shame I felt at that moment was overwhelming. To think I carried some of Nerissa's essence in me made me feel somehow unclean. I looked up at Grandfather and saw the look of shame on his muzzle. I could only imagine how he was feeling. I hated him until the day he died, he said finally. He knew he couldn't exile me lest the clan's line die with him, and I made sure to remind him of that every single day. When your father was born, I swore to have no more children. I would never let another be exiled under Nerissad's rule. Part of me finally understood why my grandparents doted on all of us. Never having the opportunity to raise a large family, they did so vicariously through my mother and father. I never once suspected nor questioned why father had been an only child. Now that I knew the answer, I disliked the clans even more. It was all politics, power plays, strategies to get the upper hand on a perceived rival, or to manipulate the hopes and dreams of people just to achieve your own goals. It made me sick. I promised myself in Rawl's name that I would never let another be exiled, he said. Alas, it was either this for you, or Lucas would have taken your head. I swallowed hard. My father was prepared to end me in front of everyone. My thoughts turned to Alexander and Mikio. Bad enough they saw my blood spilled by father's hand, but if they had witnessed my beheading, I could only imagine the consequences on their minds. It would have meant the end for some of them, and perhaps the very fragmenting of the family. After all, how does one truly forgive a father for murdering his own son? Did father discuss this with you? I asked. He shook his head. In truth, I was unaware of his intentions until the moment he raised that sword. He sighed again, finishing the cup of water. When I saw that you still lived after his strike, I knew I had to come here at least once to check on you and make sure you were still alive. He looked around the dwelling appreciatively. It seems you're off to a good start. I explained my job at the docks to him, but I left out any talk of my training. Again, because of the stigma attached to the Lautari, I figured discretion would be the better part of valor. After hearing his story, though, I really couldn't see him uttering some holy oath for my soul had I told him of my new training regimen. Still, I figured that there would be time enough to tell him in the future. I should go, he finally said. We all stood and he nodded to me respectfully, 
then bowed to Taki the way a clansman would greet another of the same status. I trust you can look out for this hot-headed grandson of mine, my lady. I think I can keep him in line, she said with a smirk. I fear my eyesight's not what it used to be, said Grandfather to me. Could you walk with me for a moment, Dallin, until I find the path back to the estate? I was a little confused at this. Grandfather's eyesight was perfect, and even half-blinded, feline eyesight could cut through the night like a knife. Still, I nodded and gave Taki a reassuring look before following him outside. We walked until the dwelling was out of sight. The growing dark surrounded us both, and for the briefest of seconds I panicked. It wasn't unheard of for a clansman to secretly take the life of an exile if it meant saving face. For all I knew, Raoul's tail could have been a steaming load of tuarod dung meant to lure me away from Taki. We finally stopped, and Grandfather turned to face me. I tensed the moment he reached for me, expecting him to go for my neck. But instead, he gripped me in a tight, almost too tight, embrace. I hesitated until the moment I felt him shudder, gasp, and then begin to cry softly. I thought I'd lost you, he choked. I thought surely the Shatlia had killed you. I thought they would, I said as the embrace broke. I quickly explained how my enhanced strength and well-timed bite had saved me from them, though I left out the part about how the sound of the knife being drawn sparked it all. We will get through this, little one, he said. He placed his hands on my shoulders and squeezed them. I swear that I will not rest until I find the underlying cause of this intrigue. Until then, be vigilant, Dallin. I fear that the further I delve into this, the more danger I may put you in. I will, I said. I thought about making some remark about how only a fool would provoke a tiger in his own den but the concerned look on Grandfather's face told me this was no time for mere nonchalance. I'll be ready, Grandfather, I said. I promise. We shared one last embrace before he turned and melted into the darkness. I remained there for a while, contemplating what he'd said about there being questions about my exile. What could that mean? As I started back down the path towards the dwelling, I tried to replay as much of that night in my head as I could. To me, it seemed black and white as to what happened. Four thugs cornered me, nearly killed me, and made off with the Kalpak. How much intrigue could one possibly read into that? When the dwelling was in sight, my pondering about my exile faded, replaced by the apprehension I'd been feeling earlier. Inside that house, she was waiting for me. Would we pick up where we left off earlier, skating so dangerously close to a social taboo, or had Grandfather's arrival cooled the mood somewhat? For all I knew, this interruption of our growing intimacy had jaded her or made her jealous of what my clan's elder was willing to do for me. In that moment, I felt humbled to the point that I didn't know if I was worthy of anything. Why would he do it? Why would he be so foolish as to risk the clan's honor for me? Yes, part of me more than appreciated it, and another part of me even demanded it. But the biggest part of me questioned it. I was just one person. One cub cast out of a family. 
The clan could continue without me, as Richard would assume my title of second heir, so why put all that in danger just for me? I opened the door to the dwelling and stepped inside. Taki turned and smiled warmly at me. Well, at least she didn't look jealous or jaded. I looked past her and saw that she already rearranged our mats and blankets once again, turning them into what looked like a poor man's double bed. I got the feeling that jaded was the last thing she was feeling. I hope this is all right, she said, noticing what must have been a confused look on my face. Mm? Oh, oh, yeah, uh, sure, I said, trying to sound calm but failing miserably. She giggled at my verbal stumbling and beckoned me to join her. We snuggled together under the blankets. She borrowed one of my shirts to use as a nightshirt of sorts. I could feel those stirrings happening again deep inside, but Tiki seemed determined to set limits as to how far we could go. That didn't stop us from doing some things, though. In the dying firelight, we held each other close, our kisses as filled with passion as they had been outside. Her body felt like fire against my own. Her purrs grew into soft, moaning growls as my lips and teeth traced from her muzzle down to her neck, where I nipped and licked gently. She whispered encouraging words in my ear, telling me exactly what to do and how it made her feel, guiding me down this untraveled road. I wanted more. Gods, it was so hard not to take it that step further. Every touch made her body writhe with some primal lust, and I was sure I could have torn her clothes away and she would have welcomed it. As it was, she guided my hands to all the right places on her body, still covered by the shirt, but she still moaned and mewled under my touch. Her hands were busy too, running over my body, tracing over the scars on my arms and legs, making me shudder with her own touch. Finally, she crawled atop me and I held her tightly. She buried her muzzle in my neck, and for a few moments I felt her tongue and teeth playing over the sensitive points there. Then, slowly, her ministrations stopped. Her body went limp atop me, and for a moment I thought something terrible had happened. Thankfully, she was still breathing, and that's when I noticed the empty cup beside our makeshift bed. The medicine. That thrice-damned blessed medicine had taken effect, and she'd passed out. Surely the patrons were laughing now. Torn between laughing and frustration, I gently rolled us onto our sides, letting her slip off me and onto her back. I laid back and was pleasantly surprised to feel her snuggle up against me. I planted a small kiss on her forehead before laying back and staring at the ceiling. This night, so and many things that's in my life I believe to be Before absolute the chapter, I mentioned that I had some news about progress on fluid. the next book. Abstract. I wish I could really explain it. But I was sitting out of my life room lesson, watching some I rerun movie on TV early, in my young life. And I pulled out my tablet and I wrote up Scrivener just in case inspiration hit across even more lines as my well, destiny began to reveal itself to me. Like a wrecking ball to the face. For the moment, though, to a writing purist, down at one might one think it's a little unorthodox and whisper not sitting at a proper desk while writing, but my hey, eyes close and sleep overtake me. As of this recording, I've outlined four more chapters of A New Beginning. I really have no idea how big this thing is going to be, but I know that it will be significantly longer than Outcast. There's a fair bit of world building going on in this one. I'm hoping that as time moves on, 
I could do some more in this world, maybe through short stories or maybe even some fan fictions, if some of the listeners out there are willing to give this world a spin. On that note, I actually do have a fan fiction that was submitted during the first run of Outcast many, many years ago. I do plan on airing it or possibly re-recording it. It's been a while since I've listened to the original recording to see how the quality is. But once Outcast is done, maybe I'll see about putting that one up as well. So I think I'll end it here for now. As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or leave an audio feedback via the SpeakPipe app at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.